You sending the wolf? Shit, that's all you had to say. Get away from her, you bitch. Banana. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sending the Wolf. My name is Clark Wolf. Thank you so much for joining me. I have such a great episode for you this week. This week, my guest is filmmaker, journalist, and all-around cinephile, Sabina Graves. Um, I've known Sabina through uh, the um, digital movie space for a while, and I'm so glad to have her on the podcast because she chose Toy Story. Um, Toy Story 4 comes out this Friday, and it was sort of perfect timing that this was her pick. So um, we... uh, Uh, We had a really great conversation, kind of in the way that Hector Navarro and I had a really great conversation um, that stemmed from Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, and it was sort of our... um our impromptu or unofficial animation episode. This episode is kind of like our unofficial Disney episode. Um, but I think it's really, really cool. And I think these two actually would great make a great um, double listen. So if you haven't listened to Hector Navarro's episode, absolutely do that. Um, we reference it a couple of times in this conversation, but we, we sort of dive into um, the bigger picture of the Disney legacy and why those movies are important. We talk about... Um, the live-action Aladdin movie that just came out, based on or and juxtapose it to the animated film and so on and so forth. Um, and fun fact, we also in the beginning uh, talk about Pulp Fiction, which we did last week with Haley Griffith. Um, Pulp Fiction and Toy Story were the two main episodes that Sabina was, um, or movies that Sabina was trying to decide between. So it's kind of funny that it all it all worked out and got released um, the way that it did. So um, I think you're really going to enjoy this episode, especially if you're getting ready to go see Toy Story 4. Um, and I really enjoyed having Sabina on the show she's she's really brilliant and such a conversationalist and um just a just an uplifting person to be around so i hope you enjoy this conversation with sabina graves talking about toy story I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for for agreeing to do the show. Thank you for inviting me. Oh my god, of course. I'm so stoked. <laughs> I, I'm so excited to have you. And so I I just kind of want to dive right in actually into uh, the movie that you picked because it, well just like start as a starting off point really. Usually I don't do that, but I I feel like it's going to lead us to some fun places. Um, so you picked Toy Story, and um, but that was not like you you had a lot of really good suggestions, <laughs> and the ones we were going back and forth between at least that I was like oh we should do one or the other was Toy Story or Pulp Fiction. <laughs> 
<laughs> which is like so, you know, vastly different. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to like start there, if that's okay. Like, yeah. you know, what um, when you obviously when you're tasked at looking like a, at a list like this, and I do give people the opportunity to be as off brand or on brand, you know, using quote fingers as they want. Uh, but but those two are so different. So what what was the thought process behind those two? Oh my gosh. Okay. So I thought it was really funny that it came down to those two. Yes. Um, because um, the three I sent you originally are pretty much like my brain palette as like a filmmaker and the stuff I love the most. So the the three were It Happened One Night, yes. which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Such an iconic romantic comedy. And it just, it just, ah, such a perfect movie. Um, Pulp Fiction, also one of my favorite movies. And uh, Toy Story, one of my favorite animated movies. Um, but yeah, no, they're totally different. And <laughs> um, no, one of the things I thought about with Pulp Fiction specifically, too, was that like there are so many like great commentaries and videos and podcasts about it, but they're generally like done by dudes. Mm-hmm. And if there's yeah. a girl, it's one of them. And I was like, well, maybe, you know, we'll do a, a two lady podcast yes. of Pulp Fiction would have been awesome too. Yeah, yeah, I you know um when Rachel Cushing came on this show, um she was de- deciding behind between a couple and um we she she'd suggested Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea that Rachel was a war buff. Like I didn't what? she was like That's raised awesome. on, you know, her dad was in war movies and like history and all this stuff and so but but to your point, it was kind of a similar thing where I didn't I don't know if I could recall two women on a podcast or on some sort of um, form of media sitting down and having an hour-long conversation about Saving Private Ryan. And um, and so, yeah, I love that idea. I love that idea of sort of... Because, you know, it's... it's I'm sure that there are things that are m- mostly universally, you know, agreed upon and, and, you know, acknowledged about something like Pulp Fiction. But also, I found that, you know... Th- adding a different kind of eye or lens to that type of thing. Um, you know, sometimes you suggest things to an audience who go, whoa, I never even thought of that, you know? So. Yeah. It's definitely valuable. But we're going to talk about Toy Story. Toy Story. So um, this is a movie. It's funny. I rewatched it last night. And uh, and I, I, of course, I loved this movie growing up. And I had the VHS. And I watched it all the time. Um, but I didn't realize how much of this movie I had memorized. Right? Yes. That, like, always pops up when you rewatch it. You're just like, I know so many of these lines. Yes. <laughs> It's great. So, okay, talk to me about your first. Let's let's start with the basics. Talk to me about the first time you saw Toy Story, if you remember it. Um, I honestly am not sure if I saw it in theaters, but I definitely, when it came out, it was always on the television. It was one of the first movies that specifically my little brother and I uh-huh. would mutually agree to have on okay. <laughs> you know because yes. like if you grew up with siblings there's always like the fight for the remote or the television and that was one of the movies that my parents like could confidently put on yes. and we would both be in the zone and watching the movie um so de- that's part of the reason why i know a lot of these lines my brother was definitely a constant rewatcher uh-huh of things as i was i and um like for me i've always like my movie going experience is usually I love watching things and I sometimes don't watch them often, but I know they're my favorite upon watching. And like, I usually go into storytelling mode. And when I was growing up, I think I went into 
playing with toys mode and like making up my own toy stories yes. uh, while I was, you know, like after watching it and stuff and wondering if my toys were going to come to life for yes. sure. <laughs> I mean, who hasn't had that thought yeah. though, of course, like you leave something, especially as a kid, when you mm-hmm. leave something in one place and then a parent or somebody else moves it and you're like, wait a second, I know I left this here. And you're so much more flexible with your one's own imagination and reality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember this movie being in theater in the theater forever. Yeah. This was a time, and I didn't look up the statistic. Maybe I should have, but um, this was a time where movies would stick around. Because now, you know, we, we, you, you work in the, uh, in the film criticism and journalism world. Like, if a movie doesn't, you know, crush in one week, it's gone. It's but, gone, yeah. yeah. For sure. You know, I actually do like that's also part of the reason why I don't remember if I saw it in theaters or at home, because just I remember that period just being Toy Story, everything, everywhere, Um, even like at the Disney theme parks. One of my earliest like memories was a whole area, I think, between like Tomorrowland and well, no, in Tomorrowland between like Space Mountain and Star Tours. They had like this whole area that was like giant Toy Story photo ops and I just look back on these pictures where like I'm standing there with like my family and we're like against the backdrop and it's like bow um but yeah it just just like Toy Story was everything like all the toys the McDonald's toys that were everywhere just yeah did you uh (laughs) did you grow up in California yes okay that's also part of the reason why we almost did Pulp Fiction I grew up in the areas that it was shot no kidding yeah oh my god um how I mean did you were you just like watching the movie and you're like oh yeah that's yeah yeah it was really strange like my my parents didn't like have um what's the word uh, they didn't really care about the movies that were on in the background growing up. So I saw a lot of stuff that were really Got adult it. really early. Got it. Uh, but I was a very mature child in that, like, I, like, didn't really do any. Like, it, I didn't have a, it didn't have a bad reaction with me. I just was like, oh, yay, movies, more movies. Um, but, yeah, no, I grew up in Hawthorne. Okay. Which is where a lot of Quentin's movies were shot. And I'd be like, oh, wow, like, that was across the street from here. My childhood, like, home that my parents rented when... I was in elementary school, was across the street from the restaurant, uh, the diner from uh, the uh, scenes yeah. in Pulp Fiction. So wow. it, was, it was crazy. That is crazy. And yeah. the, what, the interior, did they shoot the interior of the diner elsewhere or did it, was it the same? It's the same. It eventually got demolished, though. Now it's like an auto zone or something. OK. Yeah. I don't know why. Because um, isn't, di- isn't the diner across the street from the LACMA? Right near LACMA. Do you know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that, but that's also in some of his movies, right? I don't, I don't know, actually. I always see it, like, as a location for, like, yeah. rent, like when you go by the LACMA. Um, I, I don't know why I always, maybe somebody, maybe when I first moved to L.A. and somebody was giving me, like, a very general tour of, of Los Angeles, you know, oh, this is this and this is that. Uh, maybe, maybe they miss him. Maybe they were like, oh, and this is the location from Pulp Fiction. Maybe oh, it was no. Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that was it. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. We'll have to do my research and figure <laughs> that out. Um, but, um, yeah, this is, okay. Well, so growing up in California, um, movies, it feels, so I've been in LA for 11 years and it feels like movies are everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, I live in the Valley now. So like, you know, right next to Burbank and Toluca Lake where movies really are everywhere. And Studio City, of course. Um, but uh, was that the case for you, like growing up here and then going to Disney? Like, were you immersed in this from a very young age? Yeah. And, and I think the thing that like always stuck with me as I grew up 
in in like Hawthorne. I grew up in like the South Bay of LA, uh-huh. which was always like a double for like all these different locations and things. So like Buffy was shot in Torrance yes. and I grew up like adjacent to that. Um, the OC was shot in Hermosa Beach and that was the beach my parents always wanted, like loved to go to. Uh-huh. Um, I like the mall I worked at was the Delamo Mall where Jackie Brown was shot. Wow. And, like, so it was crazy to be like walking against like the same backdrops and, and stuff. And one of the things that like really mot- motivates me as like a like a film goer and a filmmaker and like a journalist is that like I've I exist in these places, you know, yeah. like and as a person of color. It was really weird that a lot of movies don't like I don't see myself in them. So like it, that turned into like wanting to be an actor to wanting to screenwrite to wanting to direct so I can make the things that you know people could see themselves in sure that's so um and okay so let's talk about disney a little bit were you i because you are um you just reviewed um now this is going to come out probably in june closer to the release of toy story 4 which we're going to get to um but uh but you just did a piece about aladdin the new aladdin movie and which is live action yes um but i've been following you on social media and i saw that the review did the review like just go up like yeah it went up today okay yeah so i saw it in may (laughs) Yeah, in May. Yes, more close to the release date, obviously. Um, But I saw that it had just gone up right before you got here. So I didn't get a chance to read the review, but I loved all your social media reactions. Thank you. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, I I just am curious, like whether it relates to Aladdin or, or Toy Story or both, what the legacy of Disney sort of means to you? Oh, wow. Uh, (laughs) I wrote a thesis in high school, like of this idea that um, of what Disney can represent to Uh many people. And basically it, it boils down to like a lot of like Walt Disney's isms. And uh, he's a very, he's a man who can be debated on endlessly. Yeah. Um, But some of the things that really suck by me is like his whole, it's fun. It's kind of fun to do the impossible and and to keep moving forward and to always see, you know, failure as a, a, a thing that is character building. Sure. And I think that in a lot of the Disney movies and Pixar movies, a lot of very timeless stories are told that, you know, like people can extend themselves to relate to. You can Mm -hmm. extend yourself to relate to toys and Toy Story, you know. Um, And in the 90s, uh, going back to Aladdin, um, there is, you know, the, the renaissance of the Disney princess. And we got the 90s princesses who were way more feminist than the ones from the the early OG princesses. Yes. Which who I like personally think that for their time were really good role models yeah. and spoke to a lot of things that women could relate to and identify with. You know, the idea of like Cinderella being this pillar of kindness yeah. despite like very like difficult circumstances, you know, um, and with like Jasmine and Belle. Belle is my favorite. Okay. <laughs> um, but Jasmine too, you know, like there, she's not a price to be won. Uh-huh. And she, you know, from the beginning of the original animated Aladdin movie, um, you got this sense of like, wow, she's pretty much a fully formed person. Mm-hmm. You know, she doesn't want to be a princess or I mean, she doesn't want necessarily to marry a prince and she tries to run away. But like, even when she meets Aladdin, um, you know, like he's swept off his feet because she is so confident yeah. and stuff. And actually, you know, one of my crazy 
apprehensions about the live action was that at Disneyland, because I spent an extraordinary amount of time there, <laughs> um, they had a preview for the live action Aladdin. Okay. And I pretty much had the same reaction you did uh, with Cinderella, like beforehand uh, with like uh-huh. all the marketing and stuff like that, where you kind of were, you know... Not for it. Not I for was it. not. Yes. I was not having it at when. Yes, correct. So the, so the preview at um, the theme park had uh, a scene from the live action, which was the one jump scene, uh, and mm-hmm. in it they do the pole vault jump thing. Uh-huh. If you remember from the original movie, yes. like Jasmine's like, she got this, you know, she just jumps and Aladdin's like, whoa, oh my gosh, <laughs> like, his mind is blown. <laughs> um, in the live action, she hesitates to jump. Okay. And she's encouraged to jump by Aladdin. Interesting. And my reaction to that was very like, um, this is not what happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I was worried. And even as I was watching the scene unfold, um, I was like, well, maybe they've decided to give her more of an arc because she was so fully formed in the animated movie. Okay. And I was like, but still, I don't know how this is going to work out. Um, So I definitely saw the live action the same way as you seeing Cinderella. Like my arms crossed. I was like, "Hmm, (laughs) yeah, I don't know how I feel about this. Um, And from the marketing did not do the greatest job at representing the movie. Um, But it, it is, crazy awesome yeah um one of the things i talk about in my review is that the 90s aladdin you know starts off with arabian nights and it has you know it's set a very 90s generalizations about a culture that it does not understand yes um you know with the lyrics being like it's barbaric and Mm -hmm. it's a mysterious place and oh my gosh the new one actually opens with um, a whole new sort of like bookend situation. Mm-hmm. You know, the original was Barbin Williams as like a shopkeeper. Yes. This opens with uh, Will Smith as a mariner telling children the story. And the lyrics are completely changed. Mm. And it's really beautiful to see it reclaimed in a way where the story is told by faces that look like the cultures that have passed down these stories yes. for generations. Yes. And I started crying. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, this is so beautiful. I, I cry very easily at movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's OK. The be- it happens yeah. to the best of us. <laughs> and yeah, no. So like it, it was crazy to you know grow up on these movies in the house in Hawthorne where I lived when I was little. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, and actually that's where I saw Toy Story. So, yeah. Yeah. Like. So before before we get to Toy Story, I want to ask you one more question about Aladdin, because I grew. Well, first of all, I grew my dad. Oh, my God. My dad loves Aladdin so much. Uh, and um, so during this renaissance, like I certainly was was into it. I had all the movies uh, and my dad, dad and I watched them all the time, but specifically Aladdin. And uh, and so it definitely held a very holds a very special place in my heart. And uh, I, I love Will Smith. You know, I love 90s Will Smith, I'll say into the 2000s. But, you know, it's just like this a little for me, a little bit of his sparkle has disappeared. Right. Um, and uh, and so, you know, and also the genie is just, um, it is just so iconically Robin Williams. For sure. Um, but it sounds like, you know, Will Smith has been getting great reviews. Um, so that's positive. Um, but one question I have, having still not seen the movie, is Guy Ritchie. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because there was a little bit of apprehension at first, especially, you know, the casting of this movie is very delicate. Yeah. It matters. Uh, it has a lot of eyes on it. Um, there was controversy, you know, and granted, I guess not every 100% of people will be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but, but it sounds like it was really meaningful for you. And I'm curious, how do you feel or how did you feel about Guy Ritchie being behind the scenes and then seeing the movie? Has that changed or what are your thoughts there? I think that Disney as like a studio is constantly evolving. Uh-huh. And I definitely, you know, think that some of these stories could be better handled and have more nuance if they're told by the voices of people who look like the stories being told. Sure. Um, and I think that Guy Ritchie... I could see where they were coming from in why they selected him, sure. you know, because he's done movies about thieving, you know, sure. and um, they, you know, wanted a take on Aladdin that was pretty action packed and had a crazy awesome pace and stuff. Um, and what I really like about how, you know, they handled the criticism and about how Guy handled the criticism was that um, the film really feels like he kind of changes his approach mm. you know like mm-hmm. we've seen we've seen him take on like other literary projects sure. like Sherlock Holmes yep. and I think it was King Arthur was the right last one yeah. We yeah 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 um, I did Which not I, see that yeah I don't hate it it's <laughs> like I think it was just just to interject it was on HBO I started watching it it wasn't like I ta- everyone I talked to said they had loved the movie they thought it was fun and whatever and then the critics were very hard on it and then I watched it and I was kind of somewhere in between because I was a person that wanted to see it I was like this looks kind of fun Uh, and I was sort of I was like okay this was fine it wasn't as I didn't like it as much as I wanted but whatever yeah so like I could see their whole like train of thought with like Like, oh he can stylize legends and like make them not boring to audiences Um, I think that he has like such an utmost respect for being handled being handed this film in the way that um you know, he has deferred to Will Smith or deferred to like Mena Masood who plays Aladdin uh-huh. or Naomi Scott to like speak about the movie more than he does. Uh-huh. And I thought that was, you know, like pretty like great yeah. for him to do. Um, he definitely does not Guy Ritchie the movie, which, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's not like, a, oh, my gosh, like it's his gaze. It definitely handles that in a way that shows that Disney is beginning to course correct, mm-hmm. you know, and we have Mulan, which is coming up. That I am just. Which is going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> so it didn't bother me as much um, once the film was done because we are like things evolve and places change, sure. you know, and I think that sparking the conversation was really important. And I think there's learning to be done on like both sides of, you know, this specific thing sure for sure good good answers all around i'm excited (laughs) to see it i am i'm very very curious um so yeah i like the idea that it is um i tried to express this on twitter but i was a little brain fried so i deleted it uh but i like so my problem with beauty and the beast the the live action beauty and the beast was that it was like aside from bell everything was animated yeah and so it felt to me like 
this is just another animated movie mm. except with a human person in it. And, and you know, Jungle Book was a little different because uh, getting animals to talk is one thing. And they looked so photo, like they looked realistic. The animals did. But like getting a, a lamp to talk <laughs> yeah. is you're just kind of like, well, that would never, like that's not a living, moving, breathing thing. And so this feels weird. And the beast felt so like I'm just like but it's Dan Stevens but like yeah, you could have just had him do the makeup and it would have been great yeah exactly yeah. like so so I, why hide Dan Stevens <laughs> what are you doing what are you doing <laughs> well we're constant as we discussed they're constantly evolving learning from their yes. mistakes course correcting obviously. course correcting um, on all sides of things exactly. just great yeah but no but my my bigger point is just like the spectacle of Aladdin is something I want to see intangible. Yes. You know what I mean? I want to see those costumes. I want to see those sets. I want to see those characters. I want to see a. I want to see Will Smith as the genie. You know that to me feels worthy of. Uh, doing in live action, whereas aside from God bless him, Luke Evans, who oh he held oh, that together. Oh he, oh Luke Evans, <laughs> Luke Evans, Luke Evans was worth the price of admission. Yes. His Gaston was fantastic, and he was perfect, perfect, um, just so perfect. But yeah, I was so disappointed mm -hmm. in Beauty and the Beast. Um, but this one is what something I want to yeah. see, and Mulan, I mm. want to see. Mulan in live action, you know, because it's people doing those it's things. It's people doing those things. And uh, yeah, so um, one of the scenes that like I definitely was like, this is definitely an improvement uh, was the friend like me scene. OK. Um, and there were moments where it kind of was like weird on Kenny Valley. Like, mm, I don't know how I feel about this during the sequence. Um, but when it leaned into the Broadway show stopping aspect of the song itself. Yes. And made things more tangible. That scene shines mm, completely mm -hmm. in the same sort of way that like uh, Luke Evans, like, yes, held it down with um, his songs. Will Smith sort of does the same thing in, I mean, he does the same thing in um, his music sequences, yeah. which is really cool. Like, and going back to what you said earlier about Will Smith, kind of like when you grew up with him in the nineties, like he had like, this just shine and yeah. then it kind of like got lost in just the name Will Smith is kind of how I describe yeah. it. And I think he describes it as that as that too. Um because what his way into the movie was uh was was actually to the music, mm -hmm. you know, and finding his genie and separating it from Robin Williams. Because, you know, Robin Williams as the genie is a character that like they're almost one in the same because the animators were animating to him. Yes, absolutely. You know? So in order to create this new character, um, Will Smith had to like find a new way in. And one of the cool things that they did as part of like the bookend of the movie uh -huh. is that like, you know, the biggest thing that people were mad about early on was why isn't the genie blue? <laughs> and oh boy, there's a reason why he is not blue. And it's and it's beautiful. Like, um, this is a genie who wants to be human. Like uh -huh. in that and I, I was like, Oh, okay, that makes sense. It kind of you know, he's like, he wants freedom to have a life and existence. Whereas, you know, the genie from the animated movie was like, I'm just your awesome friend with all these powers. I'm gonna go to Disney World, like, totally. with my freedom. And giving the genie an arc and making him part of, like, the ensemble of this mm -hmm. story, I was like, oh, wow. Like, 
yeah, I don't know. I didn't see that before. Like, this is great. And Will Smith, with the music and with the comedic sensibilities, like, um, I described this in my review as, like, Will Smith um, is basically remind not reminding us but like he like he got a lot of freedom with this Mm -hmm. role which is really great um and all the reasons we love him yeah kind of like this performance reminds you uh that he is will smith (laughs) but like not in the way where like you know some actors will maybe lean on their name and sure. be like, oh, yeah, I'm the name in this movie. No, like he was like, no, I want to have fun with this role. I want to get lost in this role and, you know, find what makes me passionate about storytelling. Yeah. And um, the new genie does that. And, and in, in the sequences, like from like me, you know, you kind of see that shine. Like it, it sounds like he is back on that vibe with music mm-hmm. and um, I can just gush on forever yeah, yeah. <laughs> about it. But yeah, like, you know, it, it's there. The heart of his like his empathy mm-hmm. you know and how i don't know if you watch his like instagram or youtube videos like, he's like a super motivational person yeah i've i've seen a handful of that <laughs> it's so great like it works for this role like he becomes like this person that you've grown up knowing and like that friend that you want you know and yeah. so it's a really cool way to tap into a new character that's cool so I yes. like that. Yay. I'm excited. <laughs> so on the heels of this Disney renaissance comes Toy Story. Yes. And, uh, you know, this was, I, I mean, as far as I know, and I'm pretty sure that it is like statistically correct, but this was the first feature film computer completely computer animated film correct yeah okay so that's what i thought so uh and this is just such a the movie is such a game changer it's but it so easily could have not worked um and there were so many moments where it almost didn't because computers weren't able to handle it and things got lost yeah i i was doing um when i first started watching the movie last night and realized how much i remembered i i saw joss whedon's name in the uh writing you know written by credits or screenplay by credits and so i did a little digging into that and had no idea um because you know if you're a joss whedon fan like like i am you know that he uh had done a lot of you know uncredited um script doctoring Docking, and, yeah. yeah, and um, and the famous example is the X Men, our first X Men movie, and then one of his lines that did make it through. Maybe the actor didn't quite understand that it was a joke. Uh, but um, but anyway, in you know, and also script doctoring, it's like you never really know who got who whose work was what and blah blah blah. But reading into the legacy of Toy Story and Joss Whedon's contribution to Toy Story, you know, the the producers really do give him credit for making. Making this movie work, yes. and um, and and I just I do think that in I when I was rewatching it last night, some of my favorite lines and gags, I I wondered why they resonated so much <laughs> with me, and then I was like, oh, because most likely Joss Whedon wrote them, yeah. duh, you know. <laughs> um, but it's still so funny. This movie is like, it just it it again it makes I say this often with this like um, movies that work within. A certain genre, uh, like an animated film that's a family film that has this amazing cast, they make it look easy. Like it could have, but but it's not easy because if it was easy, everyone would do it. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, so it's remarkable to me that this is still so. It's funny and heartfelt and all of those things. You know, decades later. 
For sure. Yeah. I think actually one of the things I read too is that he created Rex, which makes yes. so much sense. He's so relatable. <laughs> yes. As the, the dinosaur that's not scary. That's not scary and has lots of anxiety. I'm like, yes. 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 <laughs> I feel this. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Like, I think even Steve Jobs at one point almost like walked in his support of it because he wasn't sure what was going to happen, right. you know, and then he saw the movie and was like, wow, this is amazing. I'm going to like keep my name yeah. associated with yes. it. Executive producer, Steve Executive Jobs. producer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it had, you know, a few writers that went on to do like a lot more things like Pete right. Doctor, Andrew Stanton. Um, it, it had so many like versions of like the different characters um in it at one point barbie was supposed to be the love interest i saw that um and it's really interesting because um bo peep who ended up being woody's love mm-hmm. interest who later got replaced by barbie kind of um yeah. you know and disappeared uh she actually is inspired by a fairy tale that has the same sort of like story which you could even say that maybe toy story was vaguely inspired uh, by this fairy tale of a um it's called the shepherdess and the chimney sweep and it's basically two porcelain toys that come to life mm. fall in love and it's like a love story where like in this shop while the humans aren't there um the chimney sweep and the porcelain uh like shepherd shepherdess doll like uh decide to like run away mm. and um she is Courted by a surter, which is like, I guess, a demonic looking goat Ooh. goat toy. Ooh. Um, and uh, he tries to like woo her. And then um, there's another doll that's basically like her grandfather. And he says that she can totally marry like the scary monster toy. And <laughs> so she and the um, chimney sweep run away. Oh. And um, yeah, like it's a really interesting like fairy tale. I think it's Hans Christian Andersen. Okay. Who did it? I'm pretty sure. But yeah, so it was just really interesting because now we're coming upon Toy Story 4. Yes. Which is Bo Peep Comes Back. Oh. So I wonder if she's going to sort of reclaim her story because the story is sort of like inspired by her fairy tale. That's very interesting because I, um, so I do not, have not watched a trailer for Toy Story 4. Okay. Now, I'm also one of those people that does my best to not not watch mm-hmm. trailers if I can avoid them. Um, you know, and, but I will say that Toy Story 4 is a movie that holds very little interest for me. Um, I, of course, love Toy Story. I think, actually, Toy Story 2 is my favorite out of, out of the original mm-hmm. trilogy. Um, and then Toy Story 3, I liked fine, mm-hmm. but I I didn't love it the way that the majority of like our peers loved it. Um, and so and but but that said, I did feel like it was a kind of a closed arc in a way. Like I, I yeah. kind of was like, this wraps up so beautifully in Toy Story 3, even if it's not my favorite, like who cares? But like, uh, so why are we coming back for a fourth? Yeah, no, totally agree. And I also was very like put off by the Forky character. What it now for for those if there are people out there like me who haven't which which character are you talking about? So Forky is a spork that <laughs> okay. um, the new character the new kid Bonnie made a spork toy that is in constant existential crisis mode. Okay, and is questioning its existence, and it's kind of like in it's vaguely reminiscent of 
reminiscent of like the Meeseeks character from Rick and Morty where it's like freaking out like why do I exist like you know and I was kind of like I don't know how I feel about this okay like we'll see you know um but I was interested uh like my interest has like kind of been reinvigorated okay by the Bo Peep character coming back and kind of like the way she is sort of described or I can describe from the trailer is that she does not wear the dress and she's like adventurous. She has like her, her little like sheep yes, stick thing yes. is like very staff like in, in a Ray uh, way from got like Star it, Wars got and it, stuff. Got so it. I I'm in, I'm intrigued. Okay. Um so I will watch it. It comes out on my birthday, which is crazy. Oh. Which is but also kind of scary because like although I love Toy Story, um, I don't like dolls. Okay. <laughs> and so my birthday has two movies coming out that are doll related. Yes, because child's play. I am terrified of Chucky. <laughs> <laughs> I love all monsters except for that. That's so damn funny. doll. You know, um, so a girlfriend of mine um, is she works for Cat Smith, which is the, one of the production companies that is working on the Child's Play movie. And she said, she told me that 100% absolutely they're putting it on the same day as Toy Story on purpose. Oh, like of course. That. Yeah, yeah. And all the posters have been so good. Oh, they've and been so savage. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I, I love it. But yeah, it's it's quite quite funny. Um, I uh, Do you have a favorite? Well, wait, before we get to that. Uh, the dolls of it all, the toys. I we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but I definitely had a, like an imagination as a kid that you know my toys could move, or like maybe if I believed there would be some magic someplace. Belief was always something that was like very, you know, I don't know. I was just it was not in a not in a strange way, but I would say in an appropriate way. You know, my my dad always encouraged us to believe in Santa and like yeah. to believe in magic and all of that stuff. And if you want it to be true, and I was always, but I was always like wanted to prove it. You know what yeah. I mean? I was I was always a little bit too, you know, even my dad sometimes would be like, come on, just like get over, like believe in it. It's fine. Um, but I say that to say that that is something that is quite lovely about this movie mm-hmm. is, is it, it really does have so much fun and solving the puzzle of how to make this world work and feel like something that we could believe in, if that makes sense. Yeah, and then just like even encouraging to continue that magic, even like as like Andy passes yeah. that on to Bonnie and stuff, you know, like, oh my gosh, just even the scene in the first one where, where Woody reveals himself to Sid is, is so iconic. Yes. Yes. Yeah, there are there are some great scenes in this movie. Um, I but I love so kind of going back to the Joss Whedon of it all. One thing that I read that they said that he sort of made click was um, the idea that Buzz Lightyear believed he was the real Buzz Lightyear. And so he kind of had to have this reckoning. Um, So he was not arrogant, but he was just so sure of himself that he was right about everything. And then the reckoning of learning who you are and that that's not true and you do have limitations. And I, I, I really, really felt like that device was so brilliant. Like it was just such a stroke of genius. And that he was an astronaut. He wasn't a, you know, it could have easily been an army man. Could yeah. have been a G.I. Joe, you know, and those guys are still there, but uh or Combat Carl. But those guys <laughs> are still there, but like focusing on 
a, a science and a scientific character, an astronaut, like a, you know, explorer. It's just very smart to me. No, definitely. And oh, just the scene. I remember when like I was little and I'm sure if you've probably like related to this, like before you kind of get the consciousness that the next time you see the movie, it won't change. Right. Um, you right. keep hoping that like, well, he'll go up there. What if he flies this time? What if he flies this time? Um, and he doesn't. Yes. You know, and he falls and becomes Mrs. Nesbitt. <laughs> Mrs. Nesbitt. I'm Mrs. Nesbitt. She's so good. Yes. Yeah, Woody. Um, and Woody, too, mm-hmm. is such a great character. I have to give credit, even though I do not care for Tim Allen's antics as of late, mm-hmm. um, I do have to give him credit for in the 90s when he voiced Buzz Lightyear. The performance he gives is perfect. It's funny and not too big and not too small and heartfelt and really just like spot on. As as is Tom Hanks, but for me, I'm always expecting that of Tom Hanks. Yeah, no, and I think for for both of them, these characters, they they like they fill up these roles in a way that it, it is them and it what has made them some of, you know, the best voice talent in Pixar. Yeah. Um, you know, I was reading up on like who almost was Buzz Lightyear and oh, I was like, that would not have, Jim Carrey was a name, mm. Chevy Chase also. And Chevy Chase, I could see like, yeah, like it's kind of like, you know, at least in a sense, at the time, Tim Allen was, I guess, pretty big in, like, television. Yeah. And then and he went on to become Santa and was an correct. awesome Santa. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. <laughs> and already in the Disney ABC yeah, family. Exactly. Um, so that always helps. They love to keep everybody in the fam. Um, but, yeah, he Tim Allen's great. He's just straight up great as Buzz Lightyear. And... And Tom Hanks, uh, something I wanted to also point out, because I am a huge fan of Tom Hanks when he's funny. Yeah. I think that, you know, we, um, people now know Tom Hanks as America's dad Mm -hmm. and um, a serious actor. David S. Pumpkins. (laughs) And now, now, yeah, and and he is, I'm so glad that he's made his way back to SNL and has like, Mm -hmm. he might even be the record holder. Is is he the record holder? I don't know. Like, there's so many. He he might be up in the top, top, top of the people who have hosted the most. Right. Um, But yeah, Tom Hanks, like, never forget, TomAnks was a comedic, mm-hmm. funny guy until he wasn't anymore. And, um... And a romantic lead. Oh, yeah. And he's the rare, the rare actor who truly can be, is, I mean, just such a great, deep actor, I would argue, but also just funny. Mm -hmm. Just funny. Which is really interesting because, like, He's definitely of this caliber of certain actors who can pull off like everything. And Will Smith, I think, is in that, too. Sure, sure. You know, like he's played a lot of serious roles yes. as a dramatic actor. Like, but we love him and know him for like being funny or being that like um, wingman that yeah. we, everyone always wants and stuff, you know. And uh, I love how some of these actors can go back to like what has what made them passionate about the craft to begin with and like kind of reinvigorate that yeah. for them, for sure. I think I read somewhere that um, when Tom Hanks was doing the voiceover work for Woody, he would do it in between breaks of certain movies because he didn't want to, like, mix up his interpretations. Oh. And he did it in between, like, Sleepless in Seattle 
And then there was a break. And I think also during a break for um, A League of Their Own. Oh, that's interesting. So this, it's so interesting to like see like the timelines of like when some of these actors went into recording booths for the movies yes. and what other movies they're working on at the same time. Yes. Yeah. A League of Their Own really, you know, I don't I'm pr- completely projecting, <laughs> but um, I could see a kinship in gotta have to go with me here but I could to me A League of Their Own is a Tom Hanks performance that is him at his most just to me he's firing on all cylinders you know the scenes where Jimmy is drunk and it's sad are really sad and his dramatic chops are going him and Gina Davis together are just so wonderful but when he's hilarious he's hilarious in that movie I have a league of their own quote by my door I look at it every day before I leave um about the heart is what makes it great and that is a Jimmy Dugan quote but I but anyway I could see um Woody Mm -hmm. and Jimmy Dugan coming from a loose actor I'm playing, but I know who these guys are, place, if yeah. that makes sense. They have nothing in common, but there's just something so comfortable and confident about them, about those choices. Mm-hmm. Um, that's cool. I hope that's true. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like, uh, I, uh, there's something related to the movie I want to bring up that, yes, that goes into that. Um, but it, I don't know if we're, if we're go, done talking go. about Toy Story or oh. should I? Should I do the the thing? Oh, the new one, the, the second new, one, the second surprise option. Well, but we don't have to go there yet. No, no, no. I let's um let's let's pause on mm-hmm. that, and I want to ask you one more thing before we move yeah, on. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's kind of my last thing until there's anything else. If there's anything else you want to bring up, um, your toys. So I am embarrassed to say this, uh, because I am a woman who is. You know, I'm going to lie and say 29, but I'm over 30. Okay, so um, (laughs) not that far. Let's not go crazy. I still have, I was given a teddy bear um, at birth. I feel like I knew where this was going, so I'm really excited to talk about Still on my bed. Yes! Still on my bed. And I'm an adult woman. I accept this. And and I I really, I reached a point like um, maybe maybe six, eight months ago where it dawned on me, you are a woman in her 30s that still has a teddy bear on your bed. Is that weird? And I'm not saying that we can't have things that we love. I mean, for God's sake, I'm wearing a labyrinth sweatshirt and I have like, you know, like toys and figurines places, you know, in their in their place, you know, things that are meaningful. But I was like, what must a person who is a think if they like are walking to my bathroom and they look inside my bedroom and they're like is that a teddy bear i don't know <laughs> that's where the teddy bear lives yes it Clearly, is that is its bed it is what is their name his name well so i have two okay now the one that has been with me forever that is a traditional teddy bear that looks like the the snuggles you know detergent teddy bear his name is teddy it's very clever um but i a girlfriend of mine in uh high school one of my best friends gave me this little teddy bear that is a bright pink or a, a shiny pink dress on because I had found this dress when I was in a senior in high school but it was just like I wore it all I loved it it was a formal dress but it was a short it was strapless pink shiny with tulle and it just looked like a cupcake but it was so cute and uh so she said I saw that bear and I thought it reminded me of your Aww. you and your dress and so I got it for you so I named her Isabella 
So Isabella is also on the bed, but she's, you know, I love her, but she's maybe less important to me, but I have Aww. her, and so she's there. But yeah, Teddy, Teddy, Teddy is Teddy. Yeah. Nice. Mine, um, I don't have them on my bed. Um, one, my mom kept, because uh, okay. I moved around a lot before um, getting married and having a new home. <laughs> sure, that <laughs> yeah, like, Constantly, like, on the move. Um, I have a... Minnie Mouse doll that lights up. She's okay. a pink Minnie Mouse doll, and she, uh, you push, you push her stu- her tummy, stomach, <laughs> stomach and tummy just like crashed in yes. my brain, and <laughs> stomach came out. Um, and she uh, plays Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, Aww. and um, it's my, like my, my my most prized possession, pretty much. Um, I need to get that back now, actually. <laughs> but uh, the one I have at home currently that is like always near me is. Um, a sorcerer Mickey okay. stuffed animal. Uh, sorcerer Mickey is my favorite Mickey. Okay. Um, just because he is an apprentice who like has really big aspirations and maybe like dips into the book too early and uh-huh. wears the hat too early and kind of makes a mess, but learns from his mistakes uh, as he prepares to be a magician Mickey. Yes. Uh, so that is kind of like my like my animal representative. Okay. <laughs> sorcerer Mickey. I love um, that. So I always have that near me as like a. I'm just gonna keep going and learn from everything I go through. Yeah, as much as I can. <laughs> I think that's smart. And you know, I, I, I don't know. There's something about te- my teddy bear keeping him on the bed. Like I really do keep him on the bed because um, he just fits perfectly in between my neck and my head. And like you know what? I, so sometimes it's just like. I, I kind of use him a little bit as a pillow. And and so I, I'm like, so he has a practical purpose too, you know? Um, that's just coincidence or maybe something I tell myself. <laughs> that's but, like an anchor of comfort. Like yeah. whether just like how long you've had him or, you know, like if you need something behind your head. Yeah. You know? I've literally had him since I was born. He was Aww. like the first thing that was given to me. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, I... I and maybe maybe if I ever get married, that's when maybe Teddy won't go on the bed, but he can still have a place. He or Teddy will have a new friend. Exactly. That's true. You or maybe never know. that's right. Maybe there will be room for all three of us or a fourth. Who knows? <laughs> um, yeah, but those things I think are important. They are. I I feel, uh, you know, this is just something that I I grapple with, and and it does remind me of these you know, of these movies, because I think it's, it came up in the Hector Navarro, um, you know, um, S- Snow White episode where we talked was sort of our informal animation episode. But the idea of associating these things with being childish or, or something like that. And I don't think that, I think that there are real adult stories being told in the Toy Story yeah. franchise, let's say. But I also think that at the time that at least I was watching them, um, they're, they are tied to childhood and they are tied to a certain period in my life. And I just am not, even though, you know, my age, I think sometimes betrays how I feel on the inside. And so I kind of like having, whether it's my teddy bear or whether it's like my labyrinth figures or like my, you know, my, the certain things that remind me of, of being my Wizard, Wizard of Oz paraphernalia is these things that do remind me of, of childhood is even the wrong word, but just like elements of being younger that and belief exactly, and, and magic. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think it makes sense. Um, I think we're, we're in like that uh, interesting period of, uh, I don't know, like not Gen X, but also like not right. millennial, like where 
we saw the transitions of media and how the internet is now a place where like all the information lives. Mm-hmm. Um, one of like my fears as, you know, someday I hope to have a child is like, what if my child Googles if Santa is real? Like, how am I going to handle right. that? That's like a legit right. anxiety. Cause I like you, like I love this idea. I mean, it's not an idea. No, I love belief and believing in magic still. And like cultivating that and nurturing that and passing that down, I think is so important. Um, and I think it makes sense for us to a lot of times have sort of like those touchstones around us, yeah. especially for us. We work online a lot of times and we always like see things. Sometimes we get movies spoiled for us beforehand. And, right. You know, it kind of threatens to take away the magic and stuff. Right. So I think it makes perfect sense. Yeah. You know, like not wanting to let go of that sense of magic. Not quite yet. Not quite. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So before we move on to the next part, is there anything else about Toy Story specifically that we want to talk about or that we haven't touched on yet? Um, Ooh. (laughs) Let's see. So many things. So many things. I'm sure. Um, I love theme parks. So I, I do want to touch on. The Toy Story and Pixar of a lot of the theme parks yes. going on. Like one of my favorite rides is Astro Blasters uh-huh. at Disneyland. Uh, totally underrated. Okay. Uh, the other day I got on it, it broke down and I won a bunch of points. It was great. But okay. Then- <laughs> It's actually I, I vlogged about it because it was like it was it was surreal. Like my gun was shooting and just points kept happening, and that's never happened before. Excellent. Um, yeah, like I actually still haven't been to Toy Story Land at Disney World, but mm. in uh, here in LA at California Adventure, we got Pixar Pier. So there's rides inspired mm. by Toy Story and other uh, Pixar movies. And then there's an awesome bar called the Lamplight Lounge. I really need to go to California Adventure. Yes, I've you o- do. I've only you can drink there. I know. That's what everybody <laughs> says. I need to go. I need The to Pixar go. bar is great, though. I believe. Okay. They have themed drinks inspired by different movies. They oh. have like all these cool like behind the scenes uh, like swag stuff like crew shirts or like designs on the walls. And it's it's fantastic. And yeah. it's, you know, have a classy alcoholic drink inspired by Coco or oh, <laughs> Inside yes. Out. Yeah. I love all of that. <laughs> and they have really good lobster nachos. Like Ooh. that's like a that that food item specifically is known from the bar that used to be there before called the Cove Bar. Okay. And uh, it has been um, transitioned to this Pixar bar and it, it's, it's delicious. Okay. If lobster is your thing. Okay. <laughs> Do you, are you an, you're an, an annual pass holder? Yes. Like uh, a <laughs> California resident. Do you get the, dis- like the whole, is there a discount there used to anymore, be. but there's not anymore? Not, not exactly. So there used to be, um, there, so there are two inexpensive passes, or there used to be two, um, that were for residents of California. Okay. And they were the cheaper ones. One got discontinued. Oh. Then the cheapest one still exists, but it's like terrible. So no, don't get it. Um, okay. But yeah, no, I've had a pass since I was in middle school. And wow. um, yeah, it's my parents gifted that for my brother and I, um, you know, when we were big enough to like just be dropped off. Uh-huh. <laughs> we had relatives who lived nearby and like I didn't entirely get along with uh, some parts of my family. Okay. Um, and so my mom would drop me and my brother off and we'd just hang out at Disneyland okay. and then get picked up uh, later on. Um, and yeah, no, it also was around the time that like we were moving around a lot, you know, like uh, there's a lot of stuff that happened like in the personal life that, you know, that we we had that as like, you know, like Disneyland a, is the, the place, yeah. you know, that like a lot of our childhood's um, memories are, are from. Um, but yeah, so I love all the Disney park stuff, especially like as an adult, like now there's like fun 
bars themed after the movies I love. So Which yay. Is, yeah, what's not to like about that? Yeah. I, so we, that we definitely have to, to go. I have a passing to tell me when you go. Okay. I will give you the scoop on how to like ride the rides and and get around. This and, is what I need. Fun, yes. I've only been to Disneyland twice. <gasps> In the entire 11 years that I've been here. And it's been a long time. And then California Adventure. I went for the opening of the Guardians ride. Mm -hmm. uh, but... Only I, that area was like open. Probably. Yeah, yeah, it was just like I was. It was seriously in and out, mm -hmm. and, and so I, I do. I need like some good coaching. I need some the tips, and and I wanna, I wanna go and do it right. You know. <laughs> yes. Um. So okay. Well, when I get my pass, I will let you know for sure. Awesome. Um. All right. So everybody gets to pick a movie that is not on the list that they would add to the list, and uh, I think it sounds like we we hinted at something a little earlier, but. What 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 would you like to contribute? So, my I had an immediate thought of a bunch of different movies, and then I went with one that I was like, well, this actually has some loose connections, but it's actually not an American movie. Okay. So, um, I mean, but, but that's okay because it's like a movie that has definitely inspired other American movies. Sure. Um, and it is House Moving Castle. Oh, okay. I I think it's one of the greatest films ever made. Okay. I think that as an animated film, just culturally and internationally mm -hmm. is some is a movie that should be recognized more you know there's so many things in it that you know like Miyazaki just as a creative is you know like an international just genius yeah. and a storyteller who makes these movies that are um just so incredible and still so magical um I actually recently got into Miyazaki so I actually didn't grow up on okay like How's Moving Castle I saw it like admittedly like two years ago and it very quickly moved into my top five of all time wow like i would just watch it like on loop both dubbed and not dubbed okay um but going back to the dubbing of it it was actually um handled by pete doctor oh and um, miyazaki specifically asked disney to have pixar um basically shepherd the dubbed version of the movie okay so yeah, so Pete Doctor, who we know uh, as a writer on Monsters, Inc. Yeah. and Up and Toy Story. Yes. Um, he uh, was in charge of that. And um, the actor that I was thinking of earlier when we were talking about, like, um, Tom Hanks, like, in yeah. the movies he was making while he was making Toy Story, um, the actor who voices the character Hal in Hal's Moving Castle is Christian Bale. Oh. And he was working on Hal's around the time that he was working on Batman. Okay. And one of like the really random things that I picked up on while I was watching it, which is what made me realize that it was while he was making Batman, was that he um, has an English accent. He's, yes. He's an actor he, yeah. from... Welsh. He's Welsh, Welsh right? right? Yeah. I think he is. Like yes. 99% sure. He has an <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um... And in this movie, he doesn't. Oh, mm -hmm. he has an American accent. Okay. And I was like, why is that? And then we looked up the dates, ah. got on IMDb, and we're like, oh, this was around the time you made Batman. And and you totally, like, even though Hal and Batman aren't necessarily the same characters, but in some ways they kind of, you can see that through line. Okay. In the same way you can see the through line with Tom Hanks and yes. Woody yes. and Jimmy. So. Yeah, like that's why I thought like immediately. Oh, I was like, oh, it's so, so funny. funny. <laughs> wow. I mean, I think it's so hard. This is probably why film actors don't typically shoot two movies at the same time. I mean, which by the way, the only example I can think of that is is um uh 
oh my god, J- Michael J. Fox shooting family ties during the day and doing night shoots for Back to the Future at night. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a very rare occasion, and you just and I and it's got yeah, because you're just like having to live in it, you know. And and it is again, maybe we're projecting, but the, but seeing how they sort of bleed into each other, that's really interesting. Yeah, I've never seen Howl's moving. You've Castle. never seen Howl's no! moving castle. Oh, you that if I could just bring that over to you, I will. Um, <laughs> Because I need a, co- I need to like, I actually have it on DVD because I went to like a used record shop and I got it there and nice. I didn't have it on Blu-ray. But now like I need to go get the Blu-ray so I can borrow, let people borrow either yes. one. Um, I think you would love it. So how do you like break this movie down? So one of the reasons why I think it's like one of the greatest animated films, just greatest films mm-hmm. of all time is because it is a fairy tale about this very handsome wizard <laughs> And this girl who works at a hat shop. Okay. And one of the things I love about Miyazaki is that the relationships in his movies help each other, help help the characters in the movie grow in ways that make the world around them better. Mm. And um, and in that way, like there's a through line to romance, a friendship, um, understanding between like children and their parents. And it's not necessarily... Um, in a Western format, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it's a movie that I think kind of pulls that off really well. Um, I think you'd love the character Hal because he is basically like <laughs> very Bowie esque in in Labyrinth. Oh wow! Like you can see like some of the designs. You're just like, hmm, where did this? Where did this come from? Uh-huh. Um, when I'm actually wearing a Bowie shirt and because you're wearing oh, a Labyrinth, yes, sweater. So that's yay, great. yeah. That's um, awesome. I'm very excited for you to see this movie because I also like don't even want to like give away what happens in yeah. the movie. But yeah, he's like a magical like creature wizard who is very charismatic. And Sophie is this really awesome, strong character who isn't like she's not a like um, physically strong character. Mm-hmm. Like she she's like super kind and the way that she communicates with the characters around her um, and even gets a curse put on her. Like she's this really nice person who just happens to get a curse put on her that makes her really old. Oh gosh. Yeah. Like, so that's like the curse. Like she meets Howell. Then she gets this curse put on her by his like very petty ex um, who like, they just like literally met and like he helped her like escape the alley from like these soldiers that were like kind of like propositioning her uh-huh. and this like other witch lady like saw it happen and basically was like i'm gonna curse her because she was with the guy like um which the way they handled that relationship just made me cheer because it she uh the other witch uh is also kind of like really powerful and a part of this bigger storyline like this this movie has so many storylines <laughs> it deals with like war and um friendship and just magic and it's crazy awesome but yeah like even when it goes into addressing that conflict of like why she cursed sophie mm. it doesn't handle it in a way that's like well now the evil witch has been defeated like oh the ending for that is so good i want to spoil it because I, I want you to be surprised when yeah. you see it yeah um because it handles that female relationship in a way that a lot of female relationships should be handled. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, um, Howl is dreamy. I love it. <laughs> and yeah, there's really, like, I was going to bring up too that there are elements in it that, um, for example, one of the powers that Howl has in, in his, like, giant house that is a floating ship. Mm-hmm. Um, he has, like, 
a button near the door that like if he hits it, it opens the door up to a different place. Oh, and it's funny because Pete Doctor was working on Monsters, Inc. And there's the door. So that's what I'm talking about with like the influences of mm-hmm. this movie and Miyazaki on American films. Mm-hmm. Like there was influences for it in Monsters, Inc., which is also about about monsters. Sure, you know? sure, sure. Um, and the the way that the house floats uh, up, up. There you go. Directed, so. Yes, yes. Yeah, which then later on inspired Taika Waititi to make Hunt for the Wilder People, which is a live action up, which is a New Zealand movie. <laughs> so it's it's amazing how film can just like transcend. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's um. So when I when we did the uh, Snow White episode with Hector, when I did that one, uh, Hector's movie was Iron Giant, and uh, Hector like legitimately gave me the movie, and he was like, "Here, you watch it. Everybody has to watch it. Here, take it. Take my copy." And I, he said, uh, Clark, just return it in a timely manner. And I was like, I promise you I will. And I did. Um, and so I love that both you and Hector have picked these really influential, powerful, additional animated movies to sort of, uh, you know, um, be companions to the ones that, you know, the um, AFI is comfortable acknowledging. Yeah. Right? AFI is comfortable acknowledging Snow White because it is the first you know, are called the first uh, feature-length animated film, and um, it's comfortable acknowledging Toy Story because it is the first CG like, film. Yeah. And and like going back to your conversation with Hector, like it's not necessarily the best Pixar film, right? You know, right? Uh, I mean, but for some, I I could see the case for it being their favorite Pixar film. Obviously, <laughs> it, it does. Yeah. I will say to to uh, Toy Story's. To Toy Story's credit, it does fire on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's pretty. I mean, for for as I was doing that reading about the script doctoring and Joss Whedon's and all of that contribution and all of that, it was amazing to hear the execs go on record and say how scared they were that this episode, or I'm sorry, that this film was just awful and mean and not working. And, um, and, and the fact that what came out in addition to being great, because it is the first CG animated movie, it's, I would argue just a great movie that, that does hold up um, with or without being the first. Yes, for sure. Oh my gosh. What is your favorite Pixar movie or your favorites? So, my go-to answer is is kind of unpopular opinions. I love Bugs Life. Yeah, and it was the second one, right? Uh, maybe. I think so. Maybe. Um, I really like the sense of humor in Bugs Life. I, I do. I just, I think it's really funny. I think David Hyde Pierce as the little stick bug yeah. is hilarious. And I love it when he says, I'm the only one with eyeballs. <laughs> that one makes me laugh. And Ada is adorable. And... Like, you know, or Ada the, is um, Julie Louis-Dreyfus, the little one. Dot? Dot, yeah. Dot, Dot is just so <laughs> stinking cute. And Phyllis Diller, for God's sake, right? She's in there. She's grandma. Yeah. I, I just, uh, there's so many cool women uh, and female actors in that movie that, like, to me, just gave me a little, I love Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Phyllis Diller is a... Um, an icon of comedy and for women. And um, yeah, it's just, so I love that one. And and I actually quite like Brave. I know a lot of people give Brave a hard time, but I really like it. I like it too. My mom loved Brave. And so we both like really bonded over that for sure. You know? Yeah. Do you have, I'm not as like, 
I'm not as really like diehard about the about Pixar as a lot of people are. But do you have favorite a favorite or a couple of favorites? I definitely have a couple of favorites. Um, Wally, mm. for sure. Um, just because I love just like the overall story that it it wants to share with the yeah. world, um, and also Eve is yeah <laughs> Eve is awesome. Um, Coco recently, uh, just, Coco was so oh great. My gosh. Um, just because, like, uh, I grew up with a lot of that folklore. Yes. And to see it on screen was just a complete joy. Yeah. Um, actually, my uh, grandmother, who I was named after, recently passed away. Mm. And um, I haven't seen her, like, in years because um, travel is not always, like, the most expensive, the most, uh, you Easier know, accessible, co- yeah, you know? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, and one of the things that... Uh, would happen like while she was resting like she was really old she was like 93 okay so you know she was ready to go you know it was a a pretty natural sort of um passing Mm -hmm. um luckily it wasn't like painful or anything um but her one of my um great grand cousins i believe uh who is around like that age of loving these movies Mm -hmm. would serenade her the songs oh, from Coco. That's so sweet. And there's just these videos of him singing Remember Me and yes. Un Poco Loco to her. And it, it's just, it's crazy amazing. I was just, when I was in Puerto Vallarta, um, going through the market, there were Coco. Yeah. Coco was everywhere. Yeah. And little <laughs> guitars. And, and it wasn't even like, you know, official branding, but like. The idea that the little guitar that's made for a small child and has the things on there and the mm-hmm. new name. And I was like, that is so cool that, that this is something that resonates in a big picture way, but also in such a local way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just thought it was really nice. Yeah. I thought it was really nice. And and that was one. I got to do the junket for that. And um, talking to that cast it was just they were lovely and um and Dia de los Muertos is so I love the way that it is explored in the movie because I think especially in America we we talk about death the way we view death is so final and yeah, scary. And, scary and um and you know I I brought it up with um Gail uh, Garcia Bernal I was like you know um I, I this is not my culture. This is not where I come from. But this made me like really want to embrace this tradition, yeah. you know, because it was so beautiful. And he was like, "I think you should, yes. <laughs> you know, like do it. That's that's what it's that's what this is about is like celebration and inclusion and all of these things and and loved ones and memories. We can all relate to that, you know, for sure. And it like. You know, just uh, for me growing up, I was always like putting up the altar every year mm-hmm. with the items that my grandparents or like relatives loved and their favorite drink and their favorite food and stuff. And it's just a celebration of these loved ones that we have um, that um, actually kind of reminds me of the Keanu Reeves thing he said recently. Mm. Where I yes. think uh, it was Colbert <laughs> who recently asked him, like, what, what do you think happens when we die? Yeah. You know, and then he says that um, we will be missed yeah. by those who love us. Oh, and it's, it's true. It, that Yeah, it was a perfect, such a perfect answer. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. It's um Coco's Coco is lovely. It's very sweet. That's so sweet that your cousins did that and ugh, I love that. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, this has been such a lovely conversation. Thank you so much. This is so much so much love and and you know, it makes me feel I feel all the warm and fuzzies on the inside talking about being younger and and I don't know. I I think it's really important to these things that we associate with and it's yeah. really and believing nice. in magic and you need to watch house moving castle because literally our conversation about like these stories that you love yes. and even because uh, i listened to your snow white episode yeah. um i was like this is so her jam if he if you had i honestly mostly thought you'd seen it yeah so i was taken aback a little when you're like i haven't i was like oh my gosh <laughs> uh, i really hope you love it and you watch it and yes i will definitely watch <laughs> we will it. talk about it yes and i will report back <laughs> thank you so much Alrighty, friends, that's going to do it for me today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sabina Graves, not only about Toy Story, but the legacy of Disney and animation in general. I still haven't seen Howl's Moving Castle, but I absolutely will. It's on my to-do list for sure. And um, just a heads up for uh, people who contribute on Patreon for $5 or higher, this week's mini is going to be an AMA episode. So if you haven't already, please head over to patreon.com slash clarkwolf. And you can leave your questions there and I will answer them uh, on the AMA. And uh, for $10 and higher contributors this Saturday, we're going to be doing our watch along for uh, for the month of June. So be sure to head on over to patreon.com slash Clark Wolf and vote. Um, pick your movie and we are going to do that on Saturday morning. Alrighty, friends. Thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Enjoy Toy Story 4 and uh, I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.